Hey, this is Adam. I just wanted to chime in real quick before the show begins to let you know that I fucked up my audio on the next couple of episodes, and that is the reason that my track of the podcast sounds so terrible. Um, Hopefully this will not affect your enjoyment of our stupid jokes too much, but I wanted to let you know before you began that the next few episodes are not going to be as nice terms of fidelity as they usually are. My perfectionist tendencies are so acute that I feel like I want to go back and record everything that I said properly. But my OCD tendencies are such that uh, we've got to make a schedule. So these shows have to go out on time. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, We're instead going to put out the shows as they are. So thanks for listening to the show. And I'm sorry. Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Franica. How you doing, Adam? It's been... It's been a long time since we've recorded an episode together. Yeah, it feels weird to get back on the podcast bike. Yeah, do you uh, do you feel like you remember how this goes? Well, I'm glad you opened the show because I'm not sure if I would have been able to. <laughs> um, we uh, it, because it has been so long, uh, a a large number of packages have arrived for both of us, and I feel like. Uh, I feel like it's time to rip into some of these. What do you think? Yeah, let's do that. I mean, at the expense of maybe turning this into a a uh, Dan Benjamin and John Roderick episode of Roadwork, where they just spend <laughs> an hour opening packages. I don't think we have quite that many, but I think no, we no, definitely no. should. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Starfleet emergency frequency. Captain size only. Uh, all right. So the first one here is from came from Maximum Fun, but I'm pretty sure that this is something that they are forwarding us from somebody else. Oh yeah. So I've got. Let's see. Oh, I've got two things in here. It looks like. I've got. A large envelope and a small envelope. Okay, so the small envelope is has no return address. Again, <laughs> has, with a no return address. It has two Star Trek cards in it. One of them is a picture of the aft stations on the main bridge. And the other is a picture of Picard and Wesley in the episode where they're Wesley, Queen of the Deserting. <laughs> <laughs> is the aft station card just, does that just say aft station it says the main bridge colon aft stations <laughs> I love these cards thanks for pointing that out card <laughs> alright and then the second thing in here is uh, the a larger envelope from an outfit called society 6 and uh, I don't know if this is from society 6 or from Somebody ordering it from Society6. Let's see what it is. This is... Oh, this is a beautiful art print of uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard in Season 1 spec uniform uh, with the quote, My love is a fever, longing still for that which longer nurseth the disease. Tell me more. You'll have to call again, Adam. Wow. <laughs> How nice is that? That's really nice. And it's uh there's like a there's like a gift receipt in here. So I don't know if it's I don't know if Society Six sent this to us or let me see if there's anything else in here to identify the sender. Uh well that is beautiful. Wow. I uh if I'm missing if I'm missing some piece of information that says who sent this to us, uh, shoot us an email at drunkshimoto at gmail.com. I would love to uh, I would love to shout you out. Hey Ben. 
What's that, Adam? I also got a gift in the mail. Oh, yeah? What'd you get? That felt very Max weinberg on the old Conan show. You remember that? When they would do like, yeah, yeah, public yeah. service announcements and then Max would add. Sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we got a package from Coke Comics out of Brooklyn. That's your neck of the woods. Yeah. For whatever reason, it was sent to me instead of to you, which I think is cool. I'm happy to get yeah, something well, I, from Brooklyn. I've gotten some uh, some comics from them and I have, have greatly enjoyed paging through them. So I think it's fair that you would be the recipient of the next batch. This one actually includes a return address and a letter, Ben. I think that's very helpful. Lovely. It says, Dear Adam, as I promised, here are some Star Trek The Next Generation comics, plus a few extras. The Earth hasn't turned to flames when you receive this package. I hope you enjoy its contents. <laughs> Good luck with whatever secret covert ops you do, and we'll never give up, give up hope that you and Ben will be in charge of a Star Trek series soon. Keep the fart jokes coming. David from yeah. Brooklyn. Thanks, David. All right, so what we have is sort of a stack of comic books and one magazine. So we've got a Star Trek The Next Generation comic book titled The Modala Imperative. And it's a... <laughs> if you look up the cover of this It's not one, just a Modala Imperative. It's the Modala Imperative. There is. Show some respect. You got your Riker standing fists clenched. And then you've got a Troy doing a Vulcan neck pinch, but the look Whoa. the look on her face is like looking towards camera, and she's doing one of those <laughs> looks. So that's fun. Yeah. And then we got a Quantum Leap comic book, which I didn't know was a thing. Wow. It is a thing. Yeah. Uh, we, that's fun. We have a Star Trek Deep Space Nine comic book, which is... Just as much of a surprise that that it's a thing as the <laughs> Quantum Leap comic book is to me. Yeah. Uh, well, not not much of a surprise that uh, that it's being sent to us for free rather than being sold, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no street value. <laughs> we got another one here that's uh, Star Trek Unlimited, the comic book. The title of the comic is Lieutenant Shelby is a Borg. And is it all Riker's fault? And then Riker's looking <laughs> to the camera, like, clenching his jaw, like, nah. <laughs> Man, talk about getting Shelby'd. Oh, the next comic is a Deep Space Nine comic with Ensign Row on the oh. cover. Wow. And finally, uh, the last gift, the gift of gifts, is a copy of Star Trek The Next Generation, The Magazine. Uh, with yes. the Klingon family portrait on the front. <laughs> it is, uh, is Taylor, Worf, and young Alexander. Ben, did you have a subscription to Star Trek The Next Generation magazine? Because I did. I didn't. I had... Uh, what did I have? I had Ranger Rick magazine. There was a Disney magazine that I got when I was a kid. Then there was like a science, like a I don't know if it was three two one contact or something like that, like a little science science magazine. I never had I never had Star Trek magazine. I don't think I knew it existed. I probably would have had. Um, we have one more package here, Adam, and I I kind of have an inkling of what this is if I'm remembering the name right. This is uh this is from Matt B in West Virginia, and. Uh, Oh yeah, <laughs> this is this is something very special, Adam. So Matt, uh, I think I may be like confusing two people, but I think Matt was like in a second-hand store, or, like a thrift store or something, and came across the show Bible for Star Trek: The Next Generation, and we got to look. Is at that the Red an Letter edition, edition where uh, all of Gene Roddenberry's words are in red? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like the. The uh, King James yeah. uh, show Bible. Yeah. Um, the uh, yeah, this is so. This is the ninety two ninety three edition, and we got to look at a copy of this um, when we went to the uh, National Center for Science Education as part of our tour. Yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, they, I think, like one of the guys that works uh, on their on their team they're like used to write spec scripts for the 
uh, for the show, and I don't it, it didn't I don't remember if he got something on or not, but he showed us his copy, and I was like, wow, what a covetable treasure! <laughs> so the fact that uh, you and I now are in possession of such a thing is really cool. I mean, it's like it goes through and it like describes each character, like gives you it's like it's like a dossier on all the characters, um, like how to write them, like what their what their motives are and stuff. It's got this isn't the same document that said that Deanna Troy should have four boobs, right? That was <laughs> that was before the show launched. That was the uh, yeah a first pass that, of the Bible, right? I think that, that was, was the old I think that was an early, right? Yeah. And um, you know the New Testament does a lot, does away with a lot of the uh, the more horrific stuff. Right. The uh, um, the the angry gene stuff is Old Testament gene. Yeah, the ang- angry vengeful big rod. <laughs> um, I like uh, I like forgiving rod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's everybody's favorite rod. <laughs> uh, I'm on page ten here, and I've got uh, some typical missions. <laughs> Uh, do you want to? Do you want? I'm going to give you a, a little core sample of some typical missions. Oh yeah! All right, we've got exploration, transporting important passengers, <laughs> <laughs> diplomatic and trade missions, patrolling along marked or disputed boundaries (parentheses Romulan Cardassian), mediation and negotiation, responding to planetary emergencies, responding to ships in distress. Routine visits to planets, colonies, and space stations. It goes on and on. But its uh, I love that transporting important passengers is number two. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell that yeah. they took that list uh, in terms of hierarchy. That is, that is in order, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like we have what we need to contribute mightily to the new Star Trek show, which is now on permanent hiatus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Oh, man, I didn't even notice this. Matt included a little uh, business card and a a patch from the uh, law enforcement outfit that he works for, I guess. Oh, really? So if any of of our listeners ever have any problems, uh, W slash R slash T... Explosives, firearms, tobacco, or alcohol, not necessarily in that order. Uh, we've got a friend of the show. I, uh, I feel very fortunate to, to have a friend in that particular branch of law enforcement. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. I think if we ever hop on one of those Star Trek cruises, we're going to need help such as that. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's international waters. Yeah, he, he probably doesn't have jurisdiction there. Yeah. Well, Adam, we have danced for a long time here, and we've got a lot of show to sink our teeth into. What do you say we get to the next segment of our program? Yeah, I could be behind that. Today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 7, Unification 2. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. Entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. Uh, this is one of those rare episodes that is the second in an arc on this show, and uh, much like previous examples, it like literally picks up the instant it left off. <laughs> Which is uh, Picard and Data are in a cave, and Spock uh, has emerged, and they're all on Romulus. So wouldn't you know it? Spock is not happy to see Picard. And he's like, you need to get the hell out of here because I'm on sort of a personal project and you're kind of disrupting the thing I'm trying to put together here. Yeah, Spock is, uh, I mean, which is like a crazy sense of entitlement, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I suppose he's earned it, but like, but uh, he he feels like he should be free to go to the capital of the most hated enemy of the Federation whenever he wants to. And, and Picard is like, no, you, you have to explain yourself. Like, you're an important diplomat, and we've actually had Vulcan diplomats defect to Romulus before, so this is not cool. He's already been given a super wide latitude. Like, I feel like yeah. with most other diplomats, he would have been in cuffs, and they would have beamed him off the planet. Yeah. And uh, I like that uh, Picard calls this cowboy diplomacy. And Spock is already fully versed in, like, Nixonian 
terminology. <laughs> There's an old Vulcan proverb. Only Nixon could go to China. They do a good job in this scene of dropping a whole lot of references to things that Star Trek fans know about in, in a right. very... And I want to ask you, like, how cute is too cute with that? Because it felt to me while I was watching it that it was a little bit uh, Wayans Brothers scary movie-esque. Are you familiar <laughs> with the idea of why those movies exist? There's a there's a great satisfaction, I guess, in people watching a thing and getting all the references. And this yeah, felt boy. like a very, do you get all these references sort of turn to camera moment? right off the bat and it felt a little I don't know cute. I don't I don't know Adam if you and I want to sit here and incriminate a thing for being mainly just about <laughs> challenging people to get references God damn it yeah that uh All right uh asked and answered <laughs> I withdraw my my question and my testimony and I withdraw from the courtroom your honor <laughs> Uh, I can definitely see the point you're trying to make, but I am a fucking sucker for an Undiscovered Country reference. Yeah, me too. Not everybody keeps their genitals in the same place, Captain. I just wonder if, like, if as you're putting together this scene, if there's a limit. Maybe. I mean, I I felt that was subtle enough, and, and it it serves a purpose that is not always served by this show, which is to really ground it in the universe. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. There's there's some times where TNG doesn't really feel like it's the same universe as TOS. Right. And and when you've got a character from the original series and the movies talking about events that took place like much earlier in the in the universe history of the show and that have implications on the li- I mean, like the Kittimer stuff has implications for Worf that have played out, but they haven't like uh, they haven't referenced off of Undiscovered Country that much. Uh, but but uh, they have big implications for for this, and it uh, to me it's cool to to lean into the cohesiveness of that universe. Yeah, yeah, I'm into that. I think. I'm merely underscoring how fraught those moments can be if you're too cute yeah. with with the references or you're not using them enough. Yeah, so I mean, they have this they have a a pretty like strong strong-willed dispute between Picard and Spock and Spock keeps comparing Picard to Kirk and to Sarek, which has got to be so confusing for Spock, right? <laughs> <laughs> Cuz uh and and I think that it's it's also really interesting because I think that it, you could make the case that that Picard is Kirk if you gave him the same job but took his personality away and put Sarex in in its place. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and you know Picard is mind melded with Sarek and he's there to like he's not just there to figure out what Spock's up to. He also has to has to break the bad news, right? It really gives him all the leverage. It, it's like almost convenient that Sarek bought the farm when he did. Right. Yeah, It's there's an interesting bit of plot and character transference, too, when a character dies as he did mm-hmm. after having given his intelligence to someone else. You don't get to do that on a show very often. So the mission that Spock is on, like, let's talk about what, what it's about. Like, his his idea is that the... The Romulans and the Vulcans, who are uh, distant cousins genetically, uh, could be could be brought back together. Like a a cultural exchange could be could be achieved, and and he's he's basically taken it upon himself, not as a member of the Federation, but as a a person who happens to be a Vulcan, to go try to like cultivate a movement on Romulus of kind of people that are interested in Vulcan culture and kind of engaging with it. And like, we meet a few of these people. There's like a kid who uh, is really like enthusiastic and wants to learn about Vulcan. And I guess on Romulus, like you don't get to learn much about things that are going on in the Federation because it's kind of a closed society. Right. And it's made to feel dangerous. All of this back alley commiseration, all of the hushed conversations over soup. That these people are having it feels very fraught yeah 
What do you th- why do you think soup is such a key part of life on Romulus? <laughs> I think one of the main ways you you find out about another culture is through their food. Except on this show, they only go so far as to depict it. Yeah. Like, it would have been nice to, to know just a little bit more about that soup, right? Yeah. Well, it's definitely a different soup in this episode, too. It's it like is, a yeah. ramen spot. You know, Ben, I tried to do some wordplay with ramen and Romulan, and it just it equals Romulan. That's, that's all it is. It doesn't work, Ben. Yeah, that's a, that's a pun hiding in plain sight. Yeah. <laughs> See, now you named the episode. Good job, Ben. <laughs> Was that the same soup lady, by the way? I replayed this scene a couple of times, and I can't tell. Because you only see her at sort of a one-quarter angle from yeah, behind. You just see the side of her face. Yeah. And not even the nose. She's looking away from camera It's for the sure. same soup place, though, right? Definitely the same soup place. They didn't yeah. build two soup place sets at them. <laughs> well, I understand that, but I'm trying to figure out like the shift, the shift changes that might be at play here at the soup place. Yeah, maybe maybe if you're the hiring manager of the soup place, you're only hiring old ladies, which I think could be problematic from an HR perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of discriminating in in the favor of crabby old women. Yeah. Is, Big problem on on Romulus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why they're really seeking to uh, conjoin the Vulcans and the Romulans again. They want to get rid of their weird soup luncheonette hiring practices. Uh, And what we've done here is we've just written a Star Wars movie script because that's... (laughs) That's about as thin as they were a couple years ago. Well, let's let's uh, speaking of Star Wars, let's talk about the uh, the other plot that is happening in this episode, uh, which opens on world's worst Star Wars cantina, and it's the it's the same like neighborhood that the Boneyard is in, I guess. Yeah. Um, so they so in the last episode they had a run in with a black Cadillac that ended with them blowing up. Uh, this enemy ship that was uh, kind of mysteriously there to steal parts from a Vulcan ship, and um, and that kind of made uh, made for a cold trail on their investigation. But uh, Riker walks into into this bar. I didn't go there that night to fall in love. I just dropped in for a couple of drinks. Kind of sweet talking a terrifying four-armed jazz pianist in a bar. I had to ask the guy next to me to pinch me to make sure I wasn't dreaming. Uh, this lady is like, her, she's got like, she's got a nose that's like, like the nose was removed and they are like barely holding the flaps of skin on either side together with like jagged gold wire. I really like this girl. She She's really got matronly lunch lady vibes to me. Like she's very friendly and mm-hmm. fun. And she's yeah. willing to play the game. Yeah, she she's she like appreciates that the Enterprise blew up that ship because her ex husband was the captain of it. Yeah, that was fun. So that puts her like that puts her and Riker on on a positive note right off the bat. Um, and so, so so he's kind of plying her for information about where they might f- figure out who has been stealing and selling parts out of this boneyard. And uh, and she's kind of, I think she's kind of the the pianist in an old west bar kind of character, where she is around a lot of the riffraff and aware of a, of a lot of the criminality that's going on, but doesn't doesn't really you know she kind of stays above the fray. So she's she's there to flirt with Riker and uh, and give him little tidbits of information, like any good bartender or old west piano player like she's switzerland you know Mm -hmm. like you don't fuck with the bartender and you don't fuck with the piano player like they are sort of a conduit for money and information in a really fun way right because who's gonna speed up the music when the bar fight breaks out (laughs) exactly uh uh, yeah and and uh he, he shows her like a blues riff which is a really fun 
See, like she picks up on it real quickly. I also just like that she has four arms. Like I, I wish more of the aliens in this show were like she's got loaf, but then she also has four arms, and it's a well achieved effect. Um, Do you I just, think Riker's titillated by the idea of an H H H H J? Yeah. Oh man. There's so many things that could could happen with that, right? So many. She's like, yeah, like, you're sort of at the end of the information that I can give you, but let me tell you something. There's a fat fucking Ferengi that come, that is a regular at this bar, and he actually is someone who can give you all the deets. Yeah. Another thing that's going on in this episode, Adam, is Stephen Root is still there. The, I guess the, <laughs> the Klingons are still chilling at Romulus, so... I totally didn't expect this, but like when Picard and Data aren't doing stuff on the surface, they're back on on the Klingon ship, and Data's like, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna take my loaf off and get into some uh, some computer hacks that I've been wanting to do for a long time." And Data's plan is to is to penetrate the Romulan security network, which is like of all of the things that. Data and Picard have told this Klingon captain, this one comes across as the most preposterous to him. Yeah, even more preposterous than Picard enjoying his sleeping quarters. Yeah, it's it's a funny scene because Data just keeps telling this Klingon guy stuff that he plans on doing and the Klingon guy going, no, that's not, we've tried that hundreds of times. You can't, you can't even do it. And Data going like, well, I'm actually pretty, pretty elite as far as hacksawing goes, so... I'm going to give it a shot, and if I if I do get in, I'll share whatever I find with you guys, the Klingons, which is another awesome favor that Picard is doing the Klingon Empire after they treated him like a real piece of shit in the last episode. And that favor just goes completely unregarded. I think Stephen Root just sort of grunts his approval, and that's it. Yeah. I the think scene that... is also notable for another reason, which is because we go from a two-shot with Stephen Root and Data having this conversation. And then we take Picard in a single, which feels like a totally inserted moment where he's like, I'll take this opportunity to remove my ears. And he pieces <laughs> out. Yeah. And then we're back on the two with, yeah. with Data and Stephen Root. Like, what was that about? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you might as well have him go, I'm going to go take a shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was so oddly edited it it really broke up the scene in an interesting way it was almost as if like uh patrick stewart's union rules mandate that he he was coming up on his limit on set and he had to just leave (laughs) yeah like i've got to go return some videotapes The deal is they've got Pardek, who is a very long-standing senator in the Romulan Senate, and he's been lending a sympathetic ear to the to this kind of pro-Vulcan underground movement on Romulus. But he's not really the man with the power to make a a move toward opening a positive relationship between the Romulans and the Vulcans. Uh, but he's optimistic that this new proconsul uh, can can actually do it. So there's this there's this guy with this crazy jaw who's the proconsul of the Romulan Senate. And uh, he's uh, eager to meet Spock, who appears to be able to like walk around Romulus just like the second he puts on a bread box, everybody thinks Spock is a Romulan. So Why I guess is that? That is insane to me. He's the most famous Vulcan ever. <laughs> yeah, it's that seems strange, right? Like I guess it I guess that sort of implies how closed Romulan society is. The idea that like a a normal Romulan walking around in the streets wouldn't be able to tell. Like, do they look at Spock and they go like, God, that guy's face is fucked up? Because <laughs> he doesn't yeah. he doesn't what have his, that guy. <laughs> He doesn't have as much loaf as any of them. God really makes you thankful. 
for what you got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See uh, a guy like that. Kind of a rough industrial accident kind of situation with that guy. His head must have gotten. <laughs> Looks like he got his head cut in some gears. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this so this pro console is like, yeah, I want to meet Spock. Like I'm excited about uh, the idea of reunification. And Spock has one meeting with this guy and walks walks out of there having had uh, the guy just tell him everything he wants to hear. The door closes behind Spock and another door opens and out walks Dun dun dun, Ram Yarlin. <laughs> Way to stick that diction. <laughs> this is another like classic bad guy move. Like yeah. hiding in the closet, really? <laughs> Ram Yarlin. Yeah. And and I think Picard and Spock know Romulans better than the Romulans that they're working with know Romulans. Yeah. Because Spock and Picard know that it's always a game of chess, and they get back to the cave, and everybody's like, cool, we won checkers. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. no, like, they're up to something. They don't, like, there's no fucking way, like, the head of the Senate is like, yep, we're just going to, like, be super cool now. The Romulans never just give you what you want. No. They make you think you, you're getting what you want, but like like Picard is like, fool me once, shame on you. Spock didn't even have to ask for anything before he was given exactly what he was there to ask for. Yeah. What what does that ever happen? No, it never happens. Even even if the person isn't trying to fuck you over, like usually a guy like that wants to get a little bit of a pound of flesh out of everybody he talks to. And uh and yeah, right. so like 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 Spock and 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 Picard are not going to eat the soup that this guy is serving without you know exercising a little bit more caution. Right. Back in the B minus Star Wars cantina, the uh the fat Ferengi that we've been hearing so much about shows up with a couple of loafed out showgirls and uh orders a bunch of food and uh I guess he like <laughs> He like cuts off Worf's uh, Worf's reverie of Klingon opera. What is that dreadful noise? I don't know how this couldn't be your favorite scene of the episode. It was so fucking awesome. Yeah, maybe Worf's... the best Worf eyes we have ever seen. Yeah. Worf chats up the piano player. And and like he's at a dueling piano spar. It's like, do you know this one? <laughs> piano player's like yeah it's been a while but i think i can knock this one out yeah and they proceed to sing klingon opera and klingon opera this song is called Maloda. yeah and this this is the klingon opera song that only trent reznor could have written <laughs> yeah it's like super industrial sounding it really is and it's uh it is without without any kind of identifiable melodic structure yeah. like like if Worf is trying to hit notes he is failing but it's not clear that he's trying Worf bakes cakes Worf sings karaoke it's fantastic <laughs> we're really yeah. we're turning the corner on his character yeah finding out so many things about the the same guy that keeps open jars of poison in his room <laughs> in case he ever has to commit suicide yeah unique fellow Interesting guy. Well, the the fat Ferengi gets a plate of fish dumped on his lap by Riker William T, who wants to know what the fuck is up with this Vulcan ship. The fat Ferengi holds up about as well to Riker's threats as Chunk does in the Goonies when the Fratellis interrogate him. Like, he basically gets thrown around a little bit and then cops to everything. The second Riker is threatening him. Hit He's like, no, I'm too young. And so what he cops to is there. They gave it to some other aliens that do a lot of trading with the Romulans. So it's just like it's kind of pointing ever, ever more in the direction of Romulus, the the missing Vulcan ship. And so, yeah. and so the uh, the Enterprise uh, is is off to their next to the next spot in their investigation. It happens to be Galorndon Core, which is where we met um, 
Commander Tomalak, I believe. We're really covering a lot of mileage with the entrepreneur in yeah. these last two episodes. They're really crisscrossing the galaxy in a fun way. Well, and also, like, this is another example of, like, reinforcing the universe. Like, Galorndon yeah. Core could have been one of the million planets that we've heard about once and forgotten about. But it's come up a couple of times. And, every, and, like, it's just, it's a planet we know to be close to the neutral zone. And they can say Galorndon Core, and we know the implications of that now. It's basically tied with Risa for most planetary references. Yeah, you might be you might be right about that. I'd be interested to see some data science on that. Yeah, so the entrepreneur jets off to Galerndon Core, and when we cut back to the dispute between Picard and and Spock and like Pardek and all the other Romulans, because they're like. There's some, obviously something like super fucked up going on here because there's no way that the uh, the Romulans would be this cool, and uh, and we get like one one of those like arch villain reveals where it turns out that Rami Arlen has known the location of the rebel base this entire time. <laughs> she like saunters down the stairs, and a bunch of guys are like hot 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 hot, run out with their Romulan Tommy guns, and they take Picard and Spock. Uh, and data into custody, which is no bueno. They've also spent some time in this episode talking about like what what would happen to Spock and Picard and data if the Romulans caught them, and uh, you, you can use your imagination that it would not be good. My So the the proconsul and and Rami Arlen have been in cahoots this entire time, and the plan is this: they're going to give Spock some like crazy, you know, he's going to like hold up the today's paper and <laughs> and speak into the camera and say that the Vulcans and the Romulans are now pals, and there are a bunch of Vulcan ships entering the neutral zone um, coming from Romulus, and they're like. They're part of a secret, um, a secret d- diplomatic mission that is establishing normalized relations. Um, but the real situation is that those ships are packed with a Romulan invasion fleet, and this is a surprise attack that the heads of the Romulan government are planning on pulling on the Vulcans. And Spock is like, since it is logical to conclude that you will kill us in any event. I choose not to cooperate. And Rami Arlen's like, fuck. I hate Vulcans. She she has like a plan B, but she's like so pissed off that she didn't get to go with plan A. And plan B is just like, is just to have like a a holodeck version of him, which, uh, which seems like, which seems sad because they won't be able to take questions from the press. You know, at one time I experimented with hollow creations. <laughs> but I found them unsuitable for my needs. Perhaps your chief engineer was simple enough person to find that kind of thing appealing, but I like to have something pushing back on me when I get intimate. And a hologram simply will not do. You see, to me, it's all about warmth of the body. Against my body. A wrinkled old body pu- <laughs> pushing into my <laughs> into my groin. <laughs> you see, for me, it's about give and take, but, mo- <laughs> but mostly give over and over. And then she's like, okay, well, we're off to do our evil plan now. Bye, guys. <laughs> and she just leaves them in her office. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is a terrible plan. Do you get the feeling that Rom Yarlin is kind of dumb? Yeah, she kind of... Well, the Romulans around her kind of shit themselves at a certain point when the evil plan that they were trying to get the Klingon Civil War to break up the Klingons and the Federation started to fall apart. She seemed to kind of hold it together a little bit more than them. But, uh, you know, I feel like the 
way a team behaves together really comes from the top. And she she didn't have a good team there. She didn't have the best people. You know, this oh, so was you're, you're blaming the team and not not the leadership. No, I'm saying this was amateur hour, and she picked the people on the team. Yeah, yeah. So there's definitely some like she she has some blind spot in her judgment. I would say, like, there's not one. There hasn't been one idea that she's hatched that I've been like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> like they've all been. They've all seemed like the the chances of failure are extremely high. Yeah, um, she's really sort of wily coyoteing her diplomacy. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. She she ordered this from the Acme diplomacy catalog. Yeah. So she leaves the room and uh, ignoring the possibility that this room might be bugged, which I would not. If I were Spock and Data, Spock and Data are like, hey, <laughs> we can still hack their computer system from in here. This is great. Data has already beaten Ram Yarlin before at this game of chess. Yeah. And she leaves basically the most powerful figure she's ever encountered alone in a room. Yeah. Well, she, she leaves the most powerful figure she's ever encountered alone in a room with like two of the smartest guys from his society. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Good plan. Yeah. Not, not super smart. So I think the first thing that they do is they fuck with the Spock hologram. So it puts out instead of the hostage message that they wanted, it warns the enterprise that the Vulcan ships that are heading into Federation space are baddies and not goodies. The Enterprise uh, shows up and like attempts to attempts to take them under its custody. When a Romulan warbird decloaks, shoots all of those ships and flies away, and that really like stuns the the bridge crew, right? Because they're like they destroyed their own invasion force rather than let them be taken prisoner. Yeah, better to uh, die by their own hand than and get captured was the thinking yeah i wonder how how bought into the suicidal uh suicidal nature of their mission the the troops on those vulcan ships were would have been interesting to get one of those like first five minutes of saving private ryan scenes of troops loading onto the vulcan ships like scared to shit waiting to cross that line Mm mm-hmm what do you think a a Romulan siege party looks like? Yeah, man, I don't know. I mean, like, there's got to be like vehicles and stuff, right? Vehicles and like large artillery and yeah, like what is that? Because they needed to take over Vulcan. I don't think that Vulcan has like a big standing army there. Like, I don't know. I don't know if uh, I don't know if Vulcan even has an army. I mean, they must have some kind of planetary defense, right? I don't know if they're pacifists, maybe not. Yeah, but they've got to be like defended by Starfleet. Sure. Yeah. Anyways, it'd be rough either way, I think. And uh so uh Rami Arlen like runs back to the office with a couple of her a couple of her security guys and they they walk in and find that the people that they had thought they left in there as prisoners are no longer there. And uh, and they turn around, and who should be there but Riker and a little dustbuster club, uh, demanding that they put their that they drop their weapons, and uh, they start firing. Their their disruptor rays go right through Riker, and uh, out through the wall comes uh, Spock and and Picard and Data, and they and they do some beat 'em ups on the Romulans, Vulcan neck pinches. They. Uh, they turn the t- table and they've got Rami Arlen dead to rights. She is uh, disarmed and and uh, and trapped in this room with these three people who now have disruptors. Picard puts a little button on this scene by telling Data that he got Riker's hair wrong. Yeah, <laughs> Riker's hair is pretty fucked up in this scene. Hollow yeah. Riker. Yeah, it is. I wonder. Uh, I wonder if that happened because because Frakes like got a bad haircut and showed up on set and they're like, fuck, how are we going to deal with this? Commander Data. <laughs> I think you'll find that spending an inordinate amount of time 
on a real girl's hair will reap great dividends down the road. <laughs> you see, Theo, a man derives his sense of self-respect from his presentation to the world. If his hair doesn't look the way he likes, he won't have the confidence to be the kind of man he wants to be, Rudy. <laughs> I also like that uh, that Data doesn't neck pinch on Rami Arlen, and Spock is like, "Hey, nice one." <laughs> yeah, he just sort of finger guns Data on their yeah. way out the door. Yeah, gives him a. The last scene is um, is Picard offering Spock a chance to uh, do a little mind meld, get get a load of the last thoughts of Sarek before he bounces, right? The card points to his own head, and he's like, "Yo, uh, before we go, you want to hit this?" <laughs> Spock's like, "Yeah, I'll hit that." Yeah, because Spock is gonna stay behind. So this is, uh, I don't know, this, this this is a weird a weird way to end this episode because they're both pretty weepy, and uh, it's it's like I think they're trying to play it for a really like touching emotional bow on the on the proceedings what you get here ben is one of the rare face buttons yeah you shot reverse shot spock and picard doing the mind meld thing and then you get your end credit like over Picard's face yeah really strange tonally yeah and it's also like i mean there's like a pro mist filter on the on the lens in this scene so it's like it's kind of dreamy yeah it's a like there's some there's some creative decisions here that I just don't get that seem a little in, uh, out of out of place for the show. Yeah, well, I mean, once they use the pro mist in the cantina, I think they probably <laughs> use that same camera setup for the cave later. Yeah, they just uh, they just slid the camera over. It was two yeah. two bays in the same stage. <laughs> yeah, you might yeah. be right. Yeah, I mean. T- it wasn't tonally wrong. I felt like it, it might have been practically wrong. Yeah. But it was weird to see a credit on an actor's face to end with. And that's what didn't feel right to me. I think you're, yeah, that's pretty astute. I, I, uh, I, I didn't, I couldn't put my finger on why that stuck in my craw, but I think you're right about that. Uh, so did you like this episode, Ben? I did. I thought, um, I thought it was so different from the last one and i guess that's kind of a a thing at this point you know like the couple of multiple episode uh arcs that we've gotten now they really make aggressive tonal shifts from one to the next unification part one is so much about just setting the table for all of the stuff that happens in this episode so this one really feels like a tour de force by comparison yeah Like, whereas Unification Part 1 does a lot of world building, Unification Part 2 does a lot of reinforcing of that world. And and I I think on balance, I thought it was pretty great. How about you? Yeah, I agree. It feels like more than we deserve for a mid-season couple of episodes. Yeah. Felt real strong. Yeah, do you think that they like pulled out the stops because of the passing of of Big Rod? They were like, we got to do something big to to uh, honor his memory. I don't know. Th- this can be checked using research that we don't typically do. But <laughs> I wonder about what span of time passed between Roddenberry's death and the production of this episode, and then the eventual premiering of the episode. Yeah. Oh, here's something interesting. This was aired before the release of Undiscovered Country. So I guess it was to get people excited for that. Really? Yeah. That like, doesn't sound credible to me. Like it was like it came out weeks before the release of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Spox makes reference to the events of the movie when he asks Picard if he's aware of the first peace overtures with the Klingons. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty sophisticated. Yeah. Listen to this. Leonard Nimoy had previously requested $1 million to cameo in the series, but he took SAG minimum to 
uh, pay to reprise the role of Spock to publicize the uh, the release of the Undiscovered Country, on which he was an executive producer. Now that mm. is that is pound wise, right there. It is. That's like, uh, yeah, like pay me the minimum you need to pay me so that the points that I'm getting on the back end are much more valuable on my motion picture. That's almost like Shatner deciding not to kill God at the end of, uh, <laughs> at the end of Star Trek V. Yeah, he knows what side the butter is on. Pretty shrewd businessman. That's Leonard Nimoy. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. So we got a couple of Priority One messages here, Adam. And uh, the first one is from Michael, and it's to Katie. Here's how it goes. Congratulations on the birth of the boy. The boy. My son, the Ian Andrew Troy... The second memorial birthing chair worked great, and Dula Wharf has been a huge help. Uh, <laughs> I'm so proud Sounds of like you. she bore that well. <laughs> yeah. I'm so proud of you and our growing family, and I can't wait to bring it down a notch by introducing the boy to my favorite podcast. Love always, you're number one. P.S. Please veto Waxana Hot Tub. Oh, that is... Uh, that is some some shit, Luxana hot tub. I don't know if you remember that, Adam. Pretty hot stuff, is what I remember. <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, congratulations, Michael and Katie. It sounds like you had a, a a bouncing baby boy. Please don't share this podcast with that child once uh, he learns his language faculties. <laughs> yeah, I would. I was just gonna say, like. I think it would be irresponsible to share this program with a child of any age. Yeah, this is a 21 plus. It's not even an 18 plus. I would hide this like your form. Yeah, this is not an all ages show. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you hide your porn for one reason. You hide this because you don't want to see the look on your child's face when they hear what you've been listening to. Uh, we got another one. Do we not? Yeah, we do. We do. Uh, this message is from Mark who grew up to be a giant crab <laughs> and it's for Steven with a V message goes like this happy birthday from Sh- Shimoda Memorial Corner in Manila Whoa. where I'm stuck going through old isolinear chips my everlasting thanks for introducing me to the true meaning of the greatest generation and then in parentheses it says Tom Brokaw voice guys <laughs> we don't have that voice at least I don't <laughs> Have you heard uh, the Flophouse doing recaps of the plot of Dune in Tom Brokaw voice? No, I haven't. Oh my god. It's like, it is the funniest, it is the funniest shit I have ever heard in my entire fucking life. It's so fucking funny. Like the last two episodes, they've pulled that out, and it's like, I can't breathe (laughs) listening to it. It's so funny. Uh, so they haven't uh, beaten that impression to death the way we've done to Kevin Uxbridge? Uh, I don't know if you listened to this, Adam, but while you were while you were away in the Far East, I did a solo mission with Kevin that uh, opened up a, a fairly interesting uh, potential line of comedy for us to mine. Kevin Uxbridge weighed in on somebody's birthday message, and... Uh, <laughs> and uh, what came up as I was just just going off the cuff was that maybe Kevin Exbridge made the Who Snock up and they don't in fact exist. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a spooky story he goes around telling people to make them fear him. All a lot re- like Guinan, <laughs> Kevin Exbridge just shows up. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'll have to go back and give that a listen. You and Kevin doing P1s. That's great. I suppose if... if if there's a better substitute out there for me on the P1s, I can't think of it. Did we read the second half of this? No, we haven't. <laughs> you know, looping Adam Ragusea's great Priority One message music is uh, yeah. something that happens fairly often these days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the second half of this message goes like this. Hope your semester at seminary is going well. 
Just don't pull a Jordy and set up Jesus in the holodeck to give you the answers. <laughs> I am shocked that we have seminary students listening to our show, Ben. That is... Uh... <laughs> I'm shocked and delighted. Yeah, I mean, I I uh, I don't know what sect Stephen is uh, is uh, looking to be ordained into, but I I'd uh, I'd be surprised to discover that this isn't grounds for excommunication from any church. Yeah, I think what we have here are two two sets of people who should hide the pot. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, Mark and Michael, thank you for getting P1 messages. Katie, Stephen, thank you for receiving P1 messages. Uh, if you would like to send one, go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. 100 bucks for a personal, 200 for a commercial. And uh, it's, a, it's a great way to support this here podcast. I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Oh, did I, Adam? I. It, it's very rare that this show has a a moment in it that is written for comedy, played mm. for comedy, and I actually get a genuine belly laugh out of it. Yeah, I, I get a belly laugh out of this show most episodes, but more often than not, this is inadvertent. Uh huh. This episode had a great joke in it. <laughs> there is, uh, I think it's the scene when they first are taken into Rami Arlen's office and she's like, a little bit like my wife won't look up from the iPad initially. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she, she says uh, that she's been writing up the, the, uh, the hostage speech for Spock. She likes writing and wishes she got more of a chance to do it. Uh, she doesn't get to do it that much in this job, and Data just interjects. Perhaps you would be happier in another job. <laughs> Which, uh, <laughs> I just thought was so funny. I think Data is, uh, D- Data gets a, a gold star drunk Shimoda for that. Real gallows humor. Really funny. Yeah. Good job by him. And, God, I was a little surprised that Picard, like, Plays it stone cold too. Like <laughs> yeah. in that situation, I think it's okay to chuckle. I would have broken, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> How about you? Uh, my Shimoda goes to Commander Riker. Uh, the cantina scene scenes, I should say, are I think among my favorite scenes of this whole season. Mm. Riker doesn't even consider putting on. Uh, appropriate wardrobe for visiting the cantina. He does not wish to blend in. He walks through the cantina and does that thing that I'm pretty sure no one has ever done, which is he grabs a drink off of a waiter's tray as he's passing. (laughs) Did you see this? That is the behavior of a man who lives in a society where nothing costs anything. It was incredible. And the waiter gives him, like, a look and then keeps walking. Yeah. Where is he walking with an empty tray? <laughs> I would be so pissed if I were that server. I gotta Fuck go is back wrong and with you? Drink. Yeah. Yeah. And while being very enjoyable, it was sort of an asshole move by Riker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and seriously. check it out. Do you think they're serving real alcohol in that bar? I bet it is. Yeah. Yeah, Riker's that's why, system is probably not used to it. Yeah. How much fun do you think that is to consume? Hmm. Yeah. If Picard wasn't such a square, he'd probably be trying all the cool Romulan ales that they can't get in the Federation when they're on uh, on Romulus, right? He might be missing out on something in that soup, too. Maybe the soup's alcoholic. There you go. Maybe that's why he didn't like it. Maybe. Tastes like Goldschlager. Damok Angelad. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. 
With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Ben, what's coming up on the next episode? The next episode of the show is Season 5, Episode 9, A Matter of Time. Picard's quest to save an endangered planet leads him to violate a prime directive, a prime directive, when he seeks advice from a visitor from the future. You remember this episode, Adam? I do. I remember liking this episode quite a bit. Yeah? Yeah. yeah we get, a, we get a, a, a guest star who's really Jim carrying around, as I <laughs> Yeah. There's a big two-parter in Voyager that I feel like has the exact same premise as this. Oh yeah. Where they like go back to like San Francisco now or like, no, no, they go back to LA now. And it's like, it's like Star Trek Voyagers, uh, voyage home and Sarah Silverman is in it. Oh, but like their, their enemy is like a guy from the future who like, steals shit from their time and takes it to the past to profit off of it. Mm. Uh, and I wonder, I don't, I don't like, that's about as much as I remember about that, but uh, I, th I feel like I get those two things confused. 
what I, what I mean to say is, Adam, is that uh, I'm going to be really disappointed if a hot 20-something Sarah Silverman isn't in this episode. God. Oh, I really hope she's there. Yeah. I love um, Sarah Silverman at uh, any age. At any age. She's the best. Yeah. I sometimes express to my wife how much I uh, I like Sarah Silverman at any age, and she... She she looks at me about the way she looks at me when I tell her about how much I like Star Trek The Next Generation. When she looks up from her iPad the way Rom Yarlin does. It's very hurtful, Adam. Yeah, I know. I know well, the feeling. It doesn't sound like you would use a veto on this. No, I'm not gonna. Neither will I. So, that's our next step, And with that... It's about time to wrap this bad boy up. Uh, yeah, you wanna you wanna start our award-winning uh, outro that every viewer <laughs> sticks around for. Everybody, everybody sticks around for it. So here are the things you need to know. Adam Ragusia makes some of our music. Uh, Dark Materia makes our theme music. Uh, you can follow Adam on Twitter at Cut for Time. You can follow me at Benjamin R A H R. And everybody uses the hashtag Greatest Gen to talk about the show. It's a great way to get a load of the Riker Collection VHS box art, and also the uh, the long running Bill Tilly baseball card collection, which uh, recently had an installment that fucking destroyed me about Duel Wharf. It's so great. Uh, <laughs> B Tills is is doing the work. Yeah, yeah, made me laugh so hard. Um, there's also a great Facebook group and uh, and Reddit groups uh, to to get involved with. Really uh, sweet folks on there having uh, funny and uh, and thoughtful conversations. Um, uh, something that I think is is really special about this show are the are the communities that have risen up around it. And, uh, and, uh, yeah. So I think that that just about does it. Does it not, Adam? You didn't even need Kevin Uxbridge's help on that one, Ben. Good job <laughs> by you. Well, with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. An episode of The Greatest Generation that is lost in time, and we can't even tell what time it's going to or coming from. Man. That's just your idea of time, man. <laughs> it's a flat circle, baby. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.